Welcome to Why Gifts Matter from the Core Gift Institute, a series of conversations spanning helping professions, spiritual traditions, and community encouragers who believe that knowing your gifts and giving them is an essential part of living a full life and creating healthy communities. Find out more about us at www.coregift.org. Hello, this is Bruce Anderson from the Core Gift Institute. With so many, so many problems in the world today, there are a lot of people putting aside their usual routines of work and family and traveling to different places in the world to do humanitarian aid work. Jennifer Alexander has done some humanitarian aid work in other places, but she's chosen to be an aid worker in her own community. Taking the idea of gifts and her tremendous skills as a therapist and her interest and craft in the technique of brain spotting. And she's combined all three of those to do really transformative work with people who live in the same area that she lives in. It's heavy work working with firefighters who are at the end, end of their rope from stress and exhaustion, working with gang affiliated youth, doing lots and lots of work with trauma and abuse survivors. But when you listen to Jennifer, there's also a lightness in her. There's a hopefulness. There's a saying that people can heal and people can move on in their lives. She's a witness to the transformative power of gifts. And she's a witness to the incredible capacity people have to move on when they choose to do so. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with Jennifer today. So good morning, Jennifer. It's nice to finally connect after all these years. Good morning. Can we start just by where, where are you in the world and, and how do you spend your days? Just so people get some idea about that. So where am I in the world? I am in the United States. I am in California, Northern California. Um, and my days are spent quite varied. So um, in terms of my biggest passion is just supporting people. And part of that is I work as a trauma therapist um, and I see a wide variety of people. Um, as I mentioned, I see people, I over the years have specialized in people who don't want therapy, whether it's probation kids, gang kids, um, firefighters, uh, real large component to what I do is in the first responder world right now. Um, has been, I was a former firefighter and I was a probation officer. So there's a connection for me in that, you know, in that world. So, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so, you know, it's, this core gift work has been part of my journey for a long time since early on before I was a therapist, actually, as a, as just, um, a mental health worker. And so my journey has been different with it and varied in, in whatever capacities that I've kind of worked in, um, you're one of the uh, oldest people. This work started in Long hey Beach. Now. Started in Long Beach, California, and and uh, and I think I first met you up in the Lake Tahoe area. So what what drew you to the idea of gifts? It was just a training that was advertised through some government agency. What? Why did you say yes? Um, it was a mandatory training, so there was no choice in that. <laughs> there may have been a choice. Um, we, I was very fortunate in that El Dorado County Mental Health really had, we had a RAP program 
and it was very much based in um, just using a strength-based approach. And uh-huh. so from early on in my career, I think that that idea of strength-based was good, but I think we knew that, you know, sitting with um, typically very low socioeconomic status, um, trauma, 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 central. And so to sit and try to create a list of, you know, what's going great in your life and what do you like to do? <laughs> Um, you know, it didn't work, you know, or largely didn't work unless you happen to stumble upon or somebody really had a good sense of what their core gift was already, which, mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes, especially with kids, teenagers, they don't, you know, they're still discovering that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think a piece of that was this really hit home for me. Part of it is the storytelling, you know, in your training and, and the cultural component to it. And the fact that it wasn't a therapy tool, you know, um, I love that part about it, even though it is one of the best therapy tools I've ever used. (laughs) That's interesting, Jennifer, as you say, it's not a therapy tool. What do you mean by that? So I think it's not, um, it's just not based in all the psychobabble. Um, It really is about who are you as a human? I like to come from a place of just uncertainty, not making assumptions about people. That non-judgmental component in my core gift statement is very genuine. Mm-hmm. But for me, not coming from a place of being an expert and diagnosing or figuring out what your problems are and really sitting in attunement with somebody with who are you? I think that's the best, you know, um, it's just an authentic way to connect with somebody, which in and of itself is, you know, in the traditional therapy world is it's an incredibly powerful therapy tool. Mm-hmm. So. What's the power in it? I think just being non-judgmental and really connecting with the people, mm-hmm. you know, being attuned to you and what your answers are. It's meaning from you about who you are. It's not from me and some, DSM five book and what it says you're struggling with, you know, I think we have to start with who are you and what are your passions? Yeah. And the way you, you you know, the way when somebody discovers their core gift, I always find it, I get excited. So (laughs) to me, it's it's a lot of fun too. Right. Right. Do people usually, what, tell me the range of reactions you get. Um, I think most people, uh, most of the populations I work with go into it quite skeptically. I think, what is this thing? Um, I always tell people this has nothing to do with therapy, um, even though it does. (laughs) But I mean, it really is. This is just about you. What do you like to do? It's a way for me to get to know you and who you are. Um, And so I think that comes across and really gets people interested in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's across the board, whether whether I volunteer at a um, school that works with um, gang youth here. They're kids who have been expelled from continuation schools for some kind of, you know, dangerous behavior. So there's security risks having them on campus. And, um, you know, even those kids, when you stop and take the time to ask, you know, who are you, you know, who's a person, who's an important person in your life, Mm -hmm. you know, what from your family would you take forward? You know, just those questions are such a different way that they have been approached that I think it works to help build that relationship. I often think that with the kinds of clients you're working with, they've just been tested to death and assessed to death. 
So it'd be natural for them to think, oh, here goes Jennifer again. We got another assessment coming. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Here's that middle-aged, you know, <laughs> therapist in her flowy clothes <laughs> coming yeah. in. Yeah, nobody likes being assessed. Nobody mm. does. So let's create a relationship. I can get more information about somebody and their family dynamics from just this core gift assessment than I can sitting down and, you know, let's go through, you know, the DSM checklist of what category do you fit in? Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to be assessed and categorized. And even that, you know, I often tell people, look, I, I don't do diagnosis for the most part. I don't believe in it until you resolve all your trauma and all your addiction issues. You know, diagnosis is useless, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just a language. Mm-hmm. All, that's all the DSM is really is a language describing what people struggle with. So there could be people listening, a wide range of people listening, listen to these um, podcasts, Jennifer. So tell people, tell people what that document just referred to is. So the DSM is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, and I think we're on the fifth revision now. Um, it's designed by insurance companies to diagnose people with the idea that that's going to guide treatment. Um, and there's research into it you know, behind it, but for the most part, it's a language. So what is depression? It gives you what the definition of depression is. Mm -hmm. What is anxiety? It gives you what that definition is. Um, But I'm old enough now in my work, in my journey that people don't fit into these nice little categories. And, but predominantly it's driven by the insurance companies. It's a payment system, Mm -hmm. you know, predominantly it is a language. These symptoms mean something, this group of symptoms but people aren't, you know, people don't fit into categories very easily. So that seems like you were one of the early people, um, the, the generation of, of, you know, therapists, social workers, helping professionals who began to recognize that until you, until you work with the trauma, until you work with the addictions, you can't really accurately identify, um, identify the kind of organic mental health stuff or it can stem from those two. Yeah. Yeah. I use the window of tolerance a lot just in terms of educating people about, you know, where are you? Tell me me what that is. So the window of tolerance is um, Dan Siegel and Pat Ogden and Peter Levine. Um, It's a very simple graph that um, talks about where your, your window of tolerance, essentially where your normal space is that you can be calm and connected Above that is your, is hyperarousal. So, um, and there's a range of symptoms, but I like to talk about it in terms of first responders. Mm -hmm. So when you become hyperaroused, you know, you may go on shift and just be slightly more alert, or you may run calls that really spike you up and down. Um, But there's a whole, you know, that's a whole discussion, I guess, around that, which is more than, you know, than probably what we have time for here, but it, anybody can see their life, you know, mapped out on this window of tolerance. And so it's a phenomenal tool as well Mm. that can apply to, you know, anybody, you know, we're getting ready to do a humanitarian training for therapists um, in Ukraine or not in Ukraine, but um, to support services over there. Um, It's a great way to describe their lives. It's a great way, you know, first responders can see their lives and, and just somebody struggling with depression can see where their life is kind of mapped out on, on this um, window. So when you, 
I've thought about uh, about people's core gifts in that way. You use the term map map your life. So it seems like that's 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 one thing that somebody knowing their core gift does. It helps them see their their patterns and and uh, what they've been doing all these years, although they probably haven't realized it. So it seems like it would fit really good with that window of tolerance that they would mesh. So when you're in your window, you're able to be calm and connected, connect mm-hmm. to other people, mm-hmm. and so. F- the way I view it is discovering and figuring out what your core gift gives you a predominant way for how do I get into my window of tolerance. So when I'm dysregulated, when I'm, you know, bumping around, whether it's with a lot of energy or I'm kind of shut down and overwhelmed, what can I do to get myself back into that window? And knowing your core gift is a phenomenal way to do that. So how do you, how do you actually, you just do an interview and people say that's nice and you go on with your work with them? Do you, is it, do you integrate it into your work with them? How do you use it after the interview itself? Oh, I use it constantly referring back to what it is. So um, once they discover what their core gift is, and there's a wide variety, usually um, it really depends on the person and what their needs are. So there is no one answer to that. Mm-hmm. But if they um, are frequently outside their window of tolerance and it's somebody that I've used that that um, window with or we've talked about kind of where they are, then, you know, we'll talk about the core gift and what are ways that they can use their core gift to get back into their window of tolerance. Mm-hmm. It may be, I mean, another way, just um, some of the kids I work with that are that are, um, you know, some of the gang kids, it's like to even talk about a real true strength. What do you want different in your life? A core gift is a phenomenal way that they can hang on to because it's authentic to themselves. So use have being able to change their life in whatever way they want using that core gift is, is phenomenally supportive for them. Mm-hmm. Um, retirees. So highest suicide rate for, for um, first responders is retirement. And it's, I think it's, you know, retirement is one of those phases that Everybody plans for it from a financial perspective, but they don't plan for the the disconnect that comes when you retire or for, you know, family changes. And so, um, you know, just in working with somebody who's approaching retirement, Core Gift is a phenomenal way to um, just to look at how do you transition into that retirement in a way that that feels authentic to yourself. So we'll use a Core Gift to look at that. Um, I kept hearing about retirement. I'm 70. And so I have a lot of friends who've retired in the you know last five years or so. And a good percentage of them describe feeling really lost. Uh-huh. Yeah. Their, their, their neural pathways are so built around their job relationships and job tasks that they literally get lost in the world. They don't have any idea what to do when they get up in the morning. Yeah. No, you can only play golf so many days in a row, you know. <laughs> yeah, so some of those passions, right? What do you enjoy doing? How can your core gift tie into something outside of that? Yeah. If my whole life is defined by being a, you know, a firefighter, and then I leave that family of people at the station and they're not calling, you know, your whole identity is wrapped up into being yeah. a firefighter. And so when that ends, you know, there's a number of things that happen. One is they stop <laughs> that hamster wheel right? Go, 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 go. And then all of that trauma that's built up over the years tends to come visiting in a different way. So Mm -hmm. it gives, it's another tool, phenomenal tool to um, 
you know, just help build resilience. So. So when you do an interview, so I'm wondering how um, you've done so many now, hundreds and hundreds, how um, you do it all in one sitting, you do it over time. Tell me a little bit about how that works for you. I get as creative as I need to be for whatever works for the client or the person I'm sitting with. So for some people, they can tolerate, you know, doing it early on and we can do it in a, you know, in a, you know, a single session or, you know, a single meeting with them. For some people, I really like to do it over two sessions. Um, So you can really sink down in and have some time to sit with them about what does it mean? Not just coming up with an answer and then off you go. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've had people who, um, you know, we may only get through a few of the questions at a time. So maybe we end our session with just asking a few of the questions and then we build it up over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I do it all different ways. How do you, how do you think you're in that you're, you know, you're part of this vast collection of people that are often referred to as the healing arts. Why, how, why or how are uh, our core gifts healing from your frame of reference? How does it help people heal? I think by discovering either clarifying or for some people really discovering what their core gift is, it's their true authentic self. So for me, I think it almost acts as just kind of a, a guiding light for them to, to hang on to with, you know, checking in with whatever they do or whatever changes they want to make. Um, it's a great self-assessment tool for them. You know, is this something that supports my passion or my core gift? Am I giving my core gift? Um, I love doing it with teenagers when they're looking for their first jobs, Mm -hmm. you know, just let's figure out what your core gift is. And, you know, it's just one simple way to use it, but it's really impactful. So if my core gift is somehow tied with being social, you know, if I go apply for a job being a a stalker at, you know, um, stocking shelves in in a store, it may not be, you know, may not fuel that social gift that they have. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, there's such a, to me, there's such a wide variety in how you use it, that it's part of why I love using it. It's never the same. Yeah. I wonder if it's been so long. I wonder we have, there's some new questions now, some clarifications of some of the steps. I should get you connected with, uh, um, with some of the newer versions of it. It sounds like what you're using now works great. But it's <laughs> I lose track, you know, we haven't talked, I lose track of, of people and how they're using it. I was fascinated, you know, when we were chatting for a bit before we started recording here that, that there are still some people that you're connected to from that original training 20 years ago. Yeah. 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 It's neat to see, you know, and it truly is core gifts. The language changes, but the gift never seems to. Mm -hmm. It's pretty consistent. So I think mm-hmm. we get older and wiser about how we're looking at it, but yeah. And then I, I did the master's facilitate. I did the master facilitator last year, October, whenever mm-hmm. we did it. So that had some updated questions on it. Right. Right. Oh, that's right. That's right. So how has your core gift been? We're talking about using it with people and the craft of doing that. How has it been helpful? How has your core gift been? Um, helpful to you? In what ways has it been influential or helpful? 
for me personally, um, I think that authentic connection, being able to, um, authenticity comes up with me, for me a lot, just being in connection with myself as an authentic person and being able to help people connect um, to their authentic selves. Because um, particularly when I, working with a lot of trauma and addiction, people lose track of who they are and they lose track of who their value is. So for me in my daily life, I get excited by just people discovering, you know, something good about themselves that that just fuels me every day. I love my, my work. I don't know if it's a job, but, um, but for me, it is, I mean, it, it is the, the journey of life for me really is connecting with people on that level. Right. I know your gift is around authentic connection. So when, when did you, can you remember when you first started seeing that desire come out in you when you were younger? It's this idea that gifts are kind of, they're spawned in our younger years and then we carry them out. Can you remember like being really interested about that when you were young? Oh yeah. I think, um, I think living in the Dominican Republic, we've always lived because of the nature of my father's work, you know, you build a dam and there creates a reservoir. So you're always out in the boonies, like way far away from any civilization. And so I think connecting up, um, like when we lived in the Dominican Republic, they weren't used to seeing um, white people. And so um, I can remember as kids, um, you know, them feeling our hair because we had, you know, blonde hair. And the only experience they had was with um, a white priest who had a beard. So it was very interesting just as a kid watching people and how they reacted to my father because he had a beard. So that, you know, they call him Padre and he got special treatment, so to speak. <laughs> I don't know that I'm sure it was, you know, based on his color, but just the fact that they thought, you know, um, their previous experience were people bringing things into their community, you know, as a priest and, and, um, but just being exposed to different cultures. I think I had the fortunate experience of not only being exposed to indigenous cultures, but people who just live differently. And so that part of, of my core gift of being non-judgmental. I think just observing and witnessing different people and different behaviors and, and the interesting piece is a lot of, um, my parents are American. Um, I was born in Canada and raised kind of all over, but, um, part of the job structures themselves were different parts of the company and different parts of the job were people from all over the world. So Hitachi, you know, from Korea and, and, um, you know, parts of companies from Ireland. And so it was kind of its own unique melting pot. So I think those experiences of watching people interconnect and how people treated not only people within the job community, but also how they treated, you know, um, local people wherever we lived. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that made a huge impact on me. Yeah, it sounds like because both of those things, how, how local people got treated and how the melting pot of employees from different parts of the world came together to work on a building project. That's all about how people authentically connect. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I can see how that could get really strong in you at a young age. So in this, in this world of uh, where everyone likes to use the term trauma informed, do you think, and you're, you're a trauma worker, um, are, is the core gift process uh, trauma-informed? I think absolutely. How come? 
I get asked that a lot and I'm not, um, you know, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychiatrist. Um, I'm not somebody with expertise in trauma informed. So help me understand why it's trauma informed. Because I think you're asking people about who they are and what, you know, what excites them, what makes them tick from a standpoint of honoring who they are right? It's not me as an expert coming in and telling you what you need and how you should feel or what category of the DSM you fit into. Mm-hmm. It really is. Let's connect about who you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you can create that genuine connection, the rest of it falls in place, mm. right? You can't heal and not be in relationship with somebody. And if you're in a room and you're the quote unquote expert, my view is you're not going to get the most healing out of that experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think the core gift is just an amazing way to help establish that relationship because without the relationship, it doesn't matter what kind of fancy tool you have or what kind of fancy interventions you have. If you don't have a relationship with that person, none of that matters. That's what I've really noticed over the years, Jennifer. There's that, there's that point right at the end where, where, where somebody says, yes, this is my core gift, and they look at you. And, and, and if I look back at them, that I can tell they almost always have some sort of physiological response. They'll get a tear in their eye or they'll, get, they'll look a little bit anxious. Something will happen with their body that will let me know that they feel really clearly seen in that moment. It's not a, not a fear thing. It's more like, oh my God, somebody is actually seeing me for who I am right now. Yeah, it is a complete neuroexperiential. Yeah, you know, activity. Yeah. Part of brain spotting is it's not just a therapy tool. Mm-hmm. So brain spotting itself is a um, uses your visual field to process in your midbrain. So it's a different part of your brain, not just the thinking part of your brain. So, so give, give us the, give us the one minute explanation of what the brain spotting process is. So uh, I'll bet almost nobody knows what that process is that we're listening. So tell me. So brain spotting and um, brain spotting is, we call it a neuro experiential. Uh, it's not a therapy tool, but it is a method um, that really works on the way the brain is developed. And so much of, um, if you think of the old, like triune brain, that three layer brain, um, well, let's just show it. I got it here. Let's show it. So our brain, if you look at it, you know, this is our brain stem down here. Mm -hmm. This is your midbrain, right? This is your, so this is your limbic system. This is your, your feeling center, right? Mm -hmm. Your brain stem is all about survival existence. So heart rate, breathing, digestion, right? Keeps you alive. Your midbrain is really in large part is your survival mechanism. So once we learned how to exist, we learned, evolved to learn how to survive. This Mm -hmm. part of your brain is a lot about your movement. Mm -hmm. This part of your brain is all the thinking. So for most people, they think of brain function as all this consciousness, right? All the learning you've ever done your entire life, planning, problem solving, reasoning, Um, language is a huge part of your, um, so we call this your neocortex, the thinking part of your brain. So this part of your brain, because it's all tied to survival, you process 50 to 60 times faster than the thinking part of your brain. Mm -hmm. 
In terms of regulating behavior or your emotions, this part of your brain, your thinking part of your brain, when you get triggered, you're really, your thinking whoop drops down into your survival mechanisms. Mm -hmm. Emotions are all about survival, right? And so brain spotting actually uses your visual field. So your eyes are right where my eyes are. Your eyes are literally tied directly to your midbrain. Mm -hmm. So we use that to process in the midbrain. So this is where anxiety, depression, that reactivity is in your midbrain. It's a very um, meditative process. So the processing really is um, tied a lot with meditation. Mm -hmm. Uh, The processing itself is. So um, in essence, we use your visual field to access the right part of your brain with whatever issue you bring up. So if you think about, let's just say a car accident, you have a neural network that you're accessing with that thought. And we very much connected. It's a mind body experience. So we ask you, where do you feel that in your body as you think about it? Mm -hmm. And so you're accessing that neural network that holds that information. And so with brain spotting, you can't regulate from the top down because there's actually a very, very, if you think of regulating, let's say anger, there's actually a very, very tiny band of tissue that goes from your thinking part of your brain into your regulating centers of your brain. So once you're triggered, it's very hard to think your way out of it because your midbrain is already 60 steps ahead. So, um, so brain spotting really is a way to get into the right part of the brain to process and rewire whatever's happened in your life. And you're doing that by through, um, through some kind of activities you do with them around eye movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as you think about a particular issue, there's a number of ways to find a brain spot. Um, but as you think about a particular issue, literally the basis of it is where you look affects the way you feel. Mm-hmm. So if I think about a car accident, I may, if I look to my right, I may have more neural connectivity in that direction than I do looking in this direction. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it can be used both for, you know, processing trauma. It could be anxiety. It could be depression but it can also be used for um, what we call resourcing. So there's activated content and there's resourcing content. So core gifts is when I discover what somebody's core gift is, we really find a brain spot that correlates with where they feel that most in their body. So if my core gift is discovering and feeling good, helping others feel good about themselves, if I identify that core gift, I'll locate the visual position where people feel that most in their body because they can always access that as a resource. Mm. So it's kind of taking the core gift into another, you know, into a, a positive way of utilizing it. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it's really, that's such a great way to blend it with embodiment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's phenomenal. And then, you know, you can teach people, I mean, people can find it themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't need a therapist. <laughs> you don't need a practitioner. And brain spotting is not a, a therapy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, therapists train in how to use it, but there's also body workers who use it. Yeah. So it's a very much a, a, an international, um, you know, method of teaching or a tool or a way to be with people that is mind body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I haven't heard anybody connect brain spotting with core gifts. That's really fascinating, Jennifer. Yeah. Get it. Hmm. All right. I think we're moving towards the end here. 
it's just great talking to you. I was so I was so interested in where you've taken the idea of core gifts over the years, how you've integrated it, how you have, um, you know how it is with workshop stuff. People come to things, and I think probably a, only a quarter or a third of the people 10 years later are still using gift stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that's true with any kind of training we go to, you know? And so I'm always fascinated at how, why 20 years later, somebody is still finds usefulness in it. So you've, you've, um, it's just great to understand that in you and why, why it's been worth it to you. So it's certainly been worth it to me. I'm more energized at 70 about core gifts than I was 30 years ago. It just keeps growing rather than shrinking. It does. And I think all the ways, you know, the ways you're only limited by your own creativity and how you want to use it. Right. So there is no one way to use, I don't think there's any one way to use it. Right. So to say everybody has to do it in a single sitting or, you know, you have to get to a certain place or you have to ask these questions after, you know, to me, it's really part of that being individualized about it is how do you want to use this or what do you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I look forward to talking with you 10 years from now, seeing what you're doing. I'll be here. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jennifer. Thanks a lot. Good you're day. very welcome. Thank you. It's an honor. So, and thank you for, thank you for bringing this, you know, process out because mm-hmm. it has, you know, that ripple effect from what you have created to what has moved on has been huge. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. For me too. Thanks a lot. Talk to you later. Bye. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To hear more podcasts, explore our gift library, or learn about our training opportunities, visit us at www.coregift.org.